you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, January 31st, 2021. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, it's another Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked On Orioles podcast. We've got three baseball and Orioles questions to answer for you today. One of them has to do with the Hall of Fame voting results that came out last week. One question about the timeline for the Orioles and how close they might be to getting back to the postseason and more. And one question about Buck Britton, who we talked about on Friday's episode after he was officially named the manager of the AAA Norfolk Tides in 2022. And someone asks, what is next for Buck Britain. So we'll get to those questions and more coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked On Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, we're the only Orioles podcast out there bringing you content three days a week, even during the offseason and even during this lockout. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you wake up, brand new episode of Locked On Orioles in your inbox. And so if you're liking what you're hearing here on this pod, make sure to tell your friends, tell your family, tell the fellow Orioles fans that you know about the podcast. Like, follow, subscribe to the pod wherever you listen. And if you are a listener on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a five-star rating and a review on either of those apps on the Locked On Orioles page, that would certainly help me out a lot and help out the pod a lot, helping me to continue to bring you all this coverage of the team and the content that we had on the Locked On Orioles Twitter account over the weekend. Uh, That was fun, kind of posting a whole lot of videos of players that uh, you, the listeners, wanted to see just uh, being good at baseball pretty much. Uh, That was a fun time on Twitter over the weekend as well. And anything you can do with a rating and a review helps all of that out tremendously here on the podcast. But once again, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, it is a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast. Back for a Mailbag Monday after two weeks. It's probably going to be the schedule for the rest of the offseason of Mailbag Monday every other Monday. And today we've got three questions to get to. And the first question has to do with the Hall of Fame. And it comes in from listener Michael via email, who said, what are your thoughts on the Hall of Fame? Do you think David Ortiz should have gotten in? And do you think more guys should have been with him in this class of the Hall of Fame. Well, first of all, he will not be the only person going into the Hall of Fame. Although David Ortiz was voted in by the kind of Baseball Writers Association ballot, the you know, biggest ballot and the most well-known one, Ortiz was the only player voted in this year as he got about 78% of the vote. Of course, you need 75% or more to get into the Hall. And for Ortiz, it was his first year on the ballot he gets in. But there will still be uh, the other players who got in a couple of months ago, Minnie Minoso, Buck O'Neill, Jim Cott, uh, to name a few who will be honored at the induction ceremony. That is coming up on July 24th in Cooperstown. But you know, there were some surprising results. And obviously, the big results to talk about were the three big names who did not get in on their final year on the ballot. Barry Bonds, probably the best hitter of all time, got 66% of the vote in his final year on the ballot, came 9% away. Uh, It was his highest total ever, but uh, is not going into the Hall of Fame, at least with this 
voting body. Same with Roger Clemens, one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. Just below Bonds, he got 65.2% of the vote in his final year. And Kurt Schilling got 58.6% of the vote. His vote tally actually went way down after, of course, among other things, he asked people not to vote for him for the Hall of Fame. And, of course, uh, was outwardly spoken a big fan of the insurrection back on January 6th. Um, he has called for the killing of journalists, among many other things, that uh, has allowed Kurt Schilling to not be voted in by journalists into the Hall of Fame. But past Kurt Schilling, and I've been pretty clear on this podcast, he should not be in the Hall of Fame. I think these other guys have interesting cases. You know, Clemens from his baseball, Bonds from his baseball should be in. And I know the reason they're not is because of PED use. But David Ortiz was also connected to PED use early in his career. It was named in a report, and, you know, it was never confirmed that he used. But, you know, there wasn't many of these guys that was outwardly confirmed where they did use. It was more of just kind of a known thing. And for Ortiz to get in and Bonds to not get in, there is a lot, frankly, going on there. And there is other off-the-field issues with Barry Bonds. He does have a domestic violence allegation in his past as well, and I know some writers did take that into account. But in general, you know, you look at this Hall class, and it seems like this was the most vitriol, the just most... I don't even know how to describe it. It seemed like the just everything blew up in, in everyone's face in terms of the Hall of Fame voters this year, and it ended up with just David Ortiz getting into the Hall. And I think David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer, and I'm happy for him that he is into the Hall. But again, you know, you look at all these players, and you have Schilling, Clemens, and Bonds off the ballot. You had Scott Rowland with 63.2% of the vote. I think he's trending towards getting in. Todd Helton got 52%. Billy Wagner got 51%. And then Andrew Jones, 41%. Gary Sheffield, 40%. And then you had A-Rod at 34%. Jeff Kent at 33%. And then down the ballot, you know, really anybody else who has any kind of chance, Manny Ramirez at 29%. And, you know, there was one more player who was on his final year, and that was Sammy Sosa, who got just 18.5% of the vote on his final year as well. But I consider a lot of these guys Hall of Famers. And for me... You know, to tell the story of baseball, you need David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame, but I think you also need Barry Bonds. You need Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame. I think Billy Wagner deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think Todd Helton does a good job of telling the story of baseball. And I think we need to just revamp the way that Hall of Fame voting and the Hall of Fame is seen as general. You know, for Barry Bonds, like, it's not going to change the fact that he's the greatest hitter of all time, that he's not in the Hall of Fame, but in any other sport, the best to do something in that sport is in the Hall of Fame, and that's not the case for Major League Baseball. And I looked down the list of these players who were on the ballot and did not get in. I think of the Hall of Fame pretty much as, did this player have an impact on baseball in any way that is profound and is lasting and should be basically displayed in a museum that the Hall of Fame is? I think, obviously, David Ortiz did for all of the postseason magic he put together in his career. And, you know, being one of the true DHs as that came around in the 2000s. Barry Bonds is the home run leader of all time, one of the greatest hitters of all time. Roger Clemens, one of the greatest pitchers we've seen. I think both deserve to be in. Todd Helton really showed that, you know, it's not just Coors Field that makes you a great hitter, but he is kind of the Colorado Rockies player, I think of. I put him in the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner is one of the best relievers of all time. I know relievers aren't seen 
as as valuable as starting pitchers, but he's one of the best relievers, best closers ever. I put Billy Wagner in. Andrew Jones, I know he had injury issues, other issues that kept him off the field from having a longer, more successful career, but at his peak, he was the best player in baseball there for a while. I think Andrew Jones deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, one of the top 10 home run hitters of all time. Even with all the dumb things he says on TV now, I still think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think you can parse through the history of baseball without mentioning Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa. I think they both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, and I think this voting process has just become awful at this point. And there's there's seemingly no good way to do it it almost feels like, but you know, how do these other sports seemingly get it right and have no issues whereas baseball has an issue like this every other year? I think it's time to to blow up the voting process, blow up the way we do it. And just put guys in it like it's a museum, like you're telling the story of baseball, which no matter how you feel about steroids, other things, whatever it may be, you can't tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds, yet he is off the ballot 10 years and never got the 75% that he was looking for. Now, in terms of guys who won't be on the ballot moving forward, Joe Nathan, Tim Hudson, Tim Lincecum, Ryan Howard, Mark Teixeira, Justin Morneau, Jonathan Papelbon, Prince Fielder, A.J. Pierzynski, Carl Crawford, and Jake Peavy all got under 5%, which means they will not be on the ballot going into next year. And two players just barely survived to stay through next year. Torrey Hunter with 5.3%, Mark Burley with 5.8% will continue on the ballot, but obviously going to be an uphill climb for those guys. But overall, um, just another year of just everything blowing up in everyone's faces in terms of Hall of Fame voting. And I think a lot of those players should be in and we'll see, you know, with these other committees that they'll come to in the coming years, you know, five or ten years down the line, if they will eventually get into the Hall of Fame. But, you know, no real Oriole connections uh, with the Hall of Famers who just missed or did get in this year, except for David Ortiz destroying a bullpen phone in the uh, visiting dugout at Camden Yards, but really probably the, the best connection there. But We've got a, another question coming up next here on this Mailbag Monday, having to do more with the Orioles and the timeline for the team. You know, they are bad right now. They're probably going to be bad this year, but when are they going to get good? And do we kind of have some years to, you know, put to when they're going to be over 500 in the playoffs competing for the World Series? We'll talk about that right after this. So we'll continue with our Mailbag Monday, getting to our second Mailbag question in just a second. But first, let's talk about Built Bar. And it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, and maybe even better than a candy bar with some of the flavors they have, like salted caramel, mint brownie, and peanut butter brownie, just to name a few. And Built Bar, they make it easy to stick to your New Year's resolution because it's not a chalky, waxy, just bad-tasting protein bar like you're used to. This one tastes delicious, and you'll want to eat it. And it's good for you because it's got just 130 calories in every bar, just 4 grams of sugar, just 4 net carbs, and each Built Bar has 17 grams of protein. So to get your hands on some of these delicious and nutritious protein bars, go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And today's episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is also brought to you by RockAuto.com. 
With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using rockauto.com. So why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? And the rockauto.com prices, they're reliably low for every single customer. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So our second question to answer here on a Mailbag Monday comes from Jody via email. Jody, who has asked questions before on the Mailbag, thank him again for his question, said, I'm pretty happy with the strides that the Orioles have made since the rebuild began. He said, I'm predicting 70 wins in 2022, a winning record in 2023, a playoff appearance in 24, and World Series champions in 2025. What do you think? And obviously, this is quite a loaded question because, you know, it's tough to predict out what the Orioles are going to do in the offseason the next couple of years. Heck, what they're going to do once this lockout ends, if they're going to make this current team for 2022 any better. But I think... You know, Jody's prediction of around 70 wins for 2022, it's kind of what I'm hoping for. You know, I think the first thing is just avoid 100 losses in 2022. Get Grayson Rodriguez, get Adley Rutschman, get D.L. Hall, Kyle Bradish, get these guys to the major leagues, Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, whoever it may be. Get them to the major leagues. Some are going to have success. Some are going to struggle. They're going to have their ups and downs. Try not to lose 100 games, which means you're winning at least 63. And yes, I think that 70 marker would be nice. And I haven't really formulated a full prediction on the Orioles' win total yet for 2022 because there's more they could do once the lockout ends before the season really starts. But I think right now I'd predict, looking at the roster, probably somewhere around 65 wins. But if they added more, maybe they could get up to that 70 number. Now, 2023, that's been the year that the Orioles have talked about, that Orioles media has talked about, that I've talked about on this podcast as being the year where things really turn around. And I think 2022, we'll start to see a tick up for the Orioles. It won't be a whole lot of wins, but there'll be a lot more positives on the field. But 23 seems to be the year where they can compete. And you really have to put that aside and say, well, you know, as they're developing these guys, and more and more of these good prospects will be here in 2022, and even more will be here in 23, and that's going to be great. It's going to make the team better, but they're all going to be young guys. They're going to be rookies when they come up. They're going to go through their ups and downs. Like, Adley Rutschman is going to have a slump this year. He's not just going to hit, you know, 320 throughout the year with a 900 OPS. He's going to slump in his first year in the big leagues. It happens to everybody. And you have to know that when Adley gets called up, when... Grayson Rodriguez comes up, when Gunnar Henderson comes up, when Colton Kowser comes up, these guys are going to have slumps. They're going to go through rough times in their first year or two at the major league level. It happens to every player. And so even though Adley's here this year, that doesn't mean this Orioles team is going to take this huge jump as a team. And it doesn't mean he's going to be immediately the all-star caliber player that we know he should be in years to come. So when you look at just the Orioles prospects coming along, yes, they're going to get better because there's so much talent in the system. But to predict these numbers, you have to predict the Orioles to spend some money in free agency and make some trades 
trading off prospects to get big leaguers to make the major league team better. And the way Mike Elias has talked makes it seem like next offseason, heading into the 2023 campaign, is when they will start to make those moves. Maybe some moves similar to what the Tigers have done this offseason. I think it's a really good look at the Tigers, and uh, we will get to our Comparing the Rebuild series looking at the Tigers next week, as that'll give a good look at a team that's maybe one year ahead of the Orioles and what they're doing this offseason to try and win. But, you know, they have traded for Tucker Barnhart, traded from from some of their prospects for a good major league catcher, a spot where they really needed help, and they got a good player in Barnhart. And then they signed two fairly big but reasonable contracts to a really good kind of number two, potentially number one, but probably number two starting pitcher in Eduardo Rodriguez. And they went and got a middle-of-the-order bat in Javi Baez. And I would love to see the Orioles, maybe not if they're going to shell out, the Carlos Correa-type, Corey Seager-type contracts the next couple of years, but have an offseason like the Tigers did this year, have that next year. And if the Orioles can do that next year, maybe next year is when they go and they get a starting pitcher like an Eduardo Rodriguez. Maybe next year they go, and even though all the infielders are going to be a year closer, they go get a guy to play on the left side of the infield on a you know two-year, three-year deal who's a really, really good player. They get a starting pitcher. They get a true back-end reliever to come help this bullpen. Then I look around and I say, you know, all right, this might work. They trade from their hitting depth in the minors to get a, you know, back-end solid starter as well. And all of a sudden you look around and you say, you know what? I think that 2023 Orioles team can finish with an above 500 record. And then you get to 2024. You've got your stars in place. You've got Adley behind the dish. You've got Ryan Mountcastle at first base. You've got Grayson Rodriguez top of your rotation. DL Hall is there with him. You know, you've still got John Means around. And you're filling in these other pieces with the trades for the back end starter. And you've signed another good starter. And you've signed somebody on the left side of the infield. And, you know, your your outfielders are starting to come to the bigs, whether it be, you know, Stowers and Newstrom or it be Kowser and, and Kerstad and all these guys are are getting to the big leagues. Then you start to say, all right, maybe we supplant them with a little more help that next offseason and, you know, make one more big trade to get a, you know, a good big leaguer in here. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a good big league outfielder and you go Mullins and you go Stowers and you go the guy you trade for out there in the outfield. Then you start to look at that team and, you know, they've made another big free agent signing or two. You know, they get some help at, at second base or they get some more good relief arms in that bullpen. You start thinking, you know what? Maybe this team can make the postseason in 2024. And I know 2023 has been the year, and I think the Orioles will be a competitive team if they can do some of those things heading into 23. And I don't know if they're going to shell out big money, but I think the Angelos and Elias together are going to do enough to make this team good. But you have to remember, we're still in this AL East, and the Blue Jays, Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays are still going to be competing in 2023, which means even when it's the first year the Orioles are competitive— I still don't expect a playoff appearance to happen then. I don't think it's going to happen like 2012, where the Orioles have the 15 years of losing, then all of a sudden everything's clicks right in 2012, and they just missed out on the division, and they still make the postseason and come a game away from the ALCS. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to take a slower buildup. It's going to take them getting over 500, then maybe competing and just coming up short in 24. Then maybe they do make the playoffs in 2025. And yes, I know it's a longer timeline, and anything could happen in baseball, and they can still get in earlier than that. But I think even in 23, if they're a winning baseball team and they're competing, it's going to stink at the end if they don't make the playoffs. And in 2024, you know, say they're an 88-win, 89-win baseball team in 2024, and they miss the wild card by a couple of games. You know, 
looking back, yeah, you're going to say, oh, it's another non-playoff season, but that is completely different from 52 and 110. Heck, that's completely different from trying to get to 82 wins and just finish above 500. If they're a team that is competing for 162 to get to the postseason by the year 2023 or, you know, even 2024, even if they don't get in because of the great division they play in, that's a success. And if they keep adding to the team, these prospects keep coming up and they keep being good with trades and free agency, then yeah, to answer Jody's question, they can be a World Series contender by the year 2025 or 2026. That can happen but they can't just rely on the prospects. And that's why it's so hard to predict this because they have to go out, still spend the money in free agency, trade the prospects to get more big league talent. And it can't just be, you know, you can't look at the Orioles top prospects right now and just make a future lineup. You can't just look at those guys and throw out a lineup for opening day on 2024 and say, you know, this is the team that's getting the Orioles to the playoffs. If that's the case, that team's not going to go to the playoffs because some of these prospects aren't going to work out. Some are going to get hurt. Some are going to have bad rookie years. You need to supplant that with free agency and trades, big signings to help. But I think if that happens, 2025, yeah, they could be a team that's maybe competing to finally win a championship back here in Baltimore. But one more mailbag question to answer here before we go has to do with Buck Britton and what could be next for him in the Orioles system. That's coming up after this. So we'll get back to our Mailbag Monday. Final question of the day in just a second. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag. And hey, you know, it's Super Bowl in two weeks, and there's just one game remaining, and there might be less football being played. But BetOnline has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, player performance props, to where to find the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. So even on these two weeks off leading up to the Super Bowl, you can still do it all at BetOnline. And with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to get started and get your 50% welcome bonus. And it's not just football. BetOnline's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is the number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. You do it all at BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So our final mailbag question of the day on a Mailbag Monday episode comes from Jason via Twitter who says, my question for the mailbag, what do you think of Buck Britton? I love that he's coming up with the upcoming class of prospects for the most part, and like his mixture of youth and style of game he promoted in Bowie. Could you see him making the jump to O's manager, and could you see possibly as soon as next year? And it's a good question, Jason, and I talked about this a little bit back on Friday's episode. If you missed it, go back and listen. Just broke down uh, the Orioles minor league coaching staffs. They announced their official full coaching staffs at the minor league level last week, and I went through and had at least one nugget on every single coach on those staffs and talked about some of the highlights. And the big highlight, obviously, was something that was reported months ago, but is now official, that Buck Britton will be the AAA Norfolk Tides manager in 2022, moving up from AA, where he managed the Bowie Bay Sox for the last two years. And he is now in AAA one step away from the big leagues. And, you know, a lot of this almost has to do more with Brandon Hyde than it has to do with Buck Britton to answer this question. I talked about it a little bit on Friday, you know, what the chances were of Buck Britton maybe being the next Orioles manager. Talked about it on different episodes over the last year or so on this podcast. But it's really interesting because 
Brandon Hyde initially got brought in, and he signed a three-year contract, and he's through his three years, and we know last season, early in the year, the Orioles extended him through 2022, and that news came out late in the season. So as far as we know, he's basically managing on a one-year deal right now through the 2022 season, and then we don't know after that. And here's the important thing. You know, people want to talk about Brandon Hyde, you know, making the wrong bullpen decisions or whatever it may be. He doesn't have options. We've talked about this before. Like, he wasn't giving anything to succeed. For the first time, he's going to at least have the smallest bits of ability to succeed in terms of the players and the talent on his roster in 2022. But even then, the Orioles don't make any more big moves when this lockout ends. The roster I'm looking at right now is definitely better than the 2021 team, no question about it, especially with the players who are going to get promoted to the big leagues at some point. But it's still not a team that Brandon Hyde can really do stuff with, put a winning ball club together, and really get judged on his managerial abilities. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Orioles can make a decision on Brandon Hyde this year. And what I really do think is that Brandon Hyde is probably going to be given one more year after this. I think he'll be the Orioles manager, obviously, through 2022. He's got the contract. And I think he'll be the Orioles manager in 2023 as well, because that's a year, as we just talked about with the last question, the Orioles should be able to play some competitive baseball and maybe if everything clicked right, could compete for the postseason. And at the least, we hope, could be an over 500, you know, pretty solid baseball team. And that's when you can really evaluate him. But it's kind of a catch-22 because you can't really evaluate him now because the, the roster talent is just not good enough. You know, when he turns to the bullpen and he has to choose between Connor Wade and Spencer Watkins at times, and, you know, nothing against those guys, but that's not what a lot of other managers are able to turn to in the bullpen. But, you know, if you don't give him those opportunities to have better guys out there until 2023. But then in 23, you know, Adley's got a year under his belt. Grayson's got a year under his belt. Hall's ready to go. You know, here comes, you know, maybe even the the Colton Cowsers, the Jordan Westbergs, you know, these guys start getting closer and closer. Gunnar Henderson to the majors. And you put them in with Brandon Hyde. Do you now kind of lose the chance to put your plan in motion, which could be Buck Britton gets promoted along with the players and Buck Britton goes to the bigs when these top prospects are ready in the bigs and becomes their manager. So I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that plays out. And the other thing that I've thought about is that do you just tell Brandon Hyde that this is his last year in 2022 and kind of know that Buck Britton is taking over? I don't know if you want Hyde managing the team like that. And I would really like to know how Brandon Hyde feels about this. I mean, he's managed in his first managerial job since the Orioles hired him from the Cubs dugout. He's had three awful baseball teams, and there hasn't been really much he could do about it over the past three seasons. So he'll be happy to have more talent here in 2022, but he's not have enough talent to get to the playoffs. Does he want this job down the road? I'm sure a big part of him does and wants to see this through and him be the one to kind of help turn this whole thing around in Baltimore, but do the Orioles maybe miss their chance if they leave Hyde on for 23 that he starts managing these younger prospects like Henderson and Westberg and Kowser and whatnot when they get to the big leagues? Or do they just pull the trigger and bring in Buck Britton and let Hyde go after this season and bring in Buck Britton as the big league manager in 2023? The thing you do there, though, is you risk, you know, with Britton having none of that big league experience and Hyde having four years and having worked with a lot of the prospects this year, you risk having, you know, some growing pains in a 2023 season where you feel like you can really be 
a competitive team. So it could be a tough decision if the Orioles really are thinking that Buck Britton could be the future manager. And I think he's got all the pieces there. And we know that, that you know, he has said that he wants to be a manager at the big league level. Like that is the goal for Buck Britton. Of course, he's taken that next step this year. And the one other thing I'll pose, and, and at the end of the day, I don't even have my opinion formed on this because I think it, it can really go both ways. But I do think at the end of the day, if Brandon Hyde shows progress with the guys he's given this year, I think he'll be the manager at least in 2023. Beyond that, I don't know. One other possibility is that Brandon Hyde manages this year, gets another contract, and Buck Britton is put on the major league staff for 2023 under Brandon Hyde, and you can get Buck Britton in the majors without quite being your manager yet, and you can still have Hyde taken over the team, and they can each have an interesting role. You keep Freddie Gonzalez around, who's had a whole lot of major league managerial experience as well, and I think that could kind of work out at the big league level. The only thing that may not be so great about that is the fact that is Brandon Hyde looking over his shoulder the whole time with Buck Britton in the dugout saying, in thinking even, they're planning to make this guy my replacement next year. So it's a tough decision. I'm going to say my guess right now is Hyde manages the Orioles in 22 and 23, and Buck Britton is the Orioles manager in 2024. But I think there's a lot of different options for the Orioles to weigh here. But good question, Jason, and thank you for asking that. We got to go a little bit deeper into Buck Britton's future with the O's. But thanks to everyone who sent in their mailbag questions. If you would like to send in a mailbag question to be answered on a future Mailbag Monday episode, our next one will be two weeks from today. You can email us at lockedonorioles at gmail.com. You can also tweet in your questions to at lockedonorioles or to at Connor Newcomb underscore my personal account or DM either of those accounts on Twitter. The DMs are open. And you can also leave a mailbag question in the review section on Apple Podcasts on the Locked On Orioles page. Go in there, leave a rating, and in the review section, leave your mailbag question, and we will answer that as well. But that'll do it for today's episode. We will be back on Wednesday for a special episode. We're going to talk to somebody who has worked with Ryan Mountcastle over the last couple of years and literally also worked with Ryan Mountcastle this weekend. So we'll get an update on how Mountcastle looks, how ready he is for the season, we will talk about a lot of things as it has to do with Mountcastle's swing, how he's become so good, and uh, just some general hitting coach stuff with our special guest on Wednesday. So that's coming up when we return on the Wednesday podcast. It'll be February by the time you hear from me again. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.